0: Hello and welcome back to things are going great for me a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is Jay Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're new here, come on in. Don't be shy because I want you all to enjoy yourselves. Have a lemon square. You deserve it. On each episode of this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars and even some bright shining Broadway stars, as well as second guest interviews with exciting up and coming comics and actors and established producers, authors and writers. We banked all the episodes, which also makes this series a time capsule of events that occurred throughout an historic summer. You can follow me, your host, at J. Claude Deering on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handles on Twitter and Instagram at things are going great for me. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our email list and Patreon. On our Patreon, you'll find bonus RSS feed interview coverage from some of our guests, including further insights about the future of the entertainment business, plus exclusive photos and videos, some truly funny moments that happened with our guests during technical difficulties. And more. Much more. So much more. Give us the old rate and subscribe, and we'll provide the razzle-dazzle. Because here's the thing. We're doing this as a limited season until you demand more. So if you like any of what you hear today, do us a big kindness. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a nice comment. Give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcast from today. Hey, Apple podcast peeps. We see you, Spotify folks. Hey now, Stitcher fam. What's up, you freaky pocket casts cats. Hey, Breaker brethren and sistren. Welcome, radio public people. Hello, you overcast outroverts. We love you all equally, and we hope you love what you hear, and we want to keep bringing you new episodes of this show show. And by the way, we're thrilled to be sponsored for this limited series by Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on earth, sourced from the legendary Úlfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock, and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be a force of nature. Icelandic Glacial, natural spring water, sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon, Icelandicglacial.com, and a retailer near you. Today's guest is Brandon Scott. Brandon plays Officer Nick Prager on Netflix's Dead to Me. He also plays Coach JJ Kerba on Netflix's 13 Reasons Why. We talk about our shared theater education, his longtime practice of martial arts. He's a black belt holder in multiple disciplines. He also tells an absolutely hilarious and terrifying story about his early career studio test for Denzel Washington for a role in the film The Great Debaters. Brandon's one of the most talented and busiest actors I know, and he's a great dude. I'll be speaking with him in a few minutes. And a little bit later, you'll also get my conversation with Jessica Nurse. Jess is a super talented actor, director, producer, and writer. She recurred on ABC's Scandal, and she stars in the VR reboot of MGM's War Games. She's also an alum of the prestigious Stella Adler Studios in New York. We talk about acting in a VR project that features a complicated interactive decision tree, her own wonderful original series, Roof Access, Growing Up in Massachusetts, and the way in which actors often get bad advice about their contracts on projects. It's a lovely chat. Stick around. You're not going to want to miss it. Joining me again today is my producer and co-host, Winston Carter. Yo, I'm <laughs> here. So today is uh, specifically an NYU-heavy episode. hmm Um, The NYU Tisch School of the Arts, it operates like a high school within a large university. So they graduate like a whopping 200 actors and theater makers per year out of their undergrad program, Mm. as opposed to the smaller but no less successful conservatory style programs at places like Carnegie Mellon and Northwestern. So I, I think sometimes people feel like NYU folks are everywhere you turn in places like New York and LA. Um, mm-hmm. I think you had said last episode that you were in a UCB class that was mostly NYU folks, right?
1: No, that's just like always like my running, uh, being not from uh, NYU or USC, you end up feeling like mm. the minority of most of these
0: things. Right. USC is the other one. Right. I guess in yeah. LA. Sure. Does it bother you when you when you feel no. like you're surrounded by this NYU mafia?
1: Oh, no. I personally love it because uh, if I see someone who I know, like, I, I went to a state school for political science. <laughs> uh, and then if I see someone and I'm like, I'm better than you and you should be amazing. It makes me feel great. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, <laughs>
1: That's, I, I'm just being honest.
0: I don't think all NYU people are brilliant. I will say that. I mean, um, There were a few people that you'd, but you know, what I learned about actors is that you should never make an assumption about how talented you think a person is or how far you think they're going to go because most of the time you're going to be wrong.
1: So you go in, you can explain this to me. So you go in and like you're in, you're in Tish, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just performing arts, right?
0: Well, no, it's not. Tish is, it's not just performing arts. It's fine arts. It's uh, the film school is there that uh, the graduate program I think is headed by Spike Lee now. Um, So, you know, no, it's not just performing arts, but we've talked about it on, and we talk about it on this episode that there should be more fraternization at the school between, for example, the film department and the acting department. There really wasn't a lot of that when I was there. Back in the early 2000s. Um, I wonder if there's more now because there really should be.
1: Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, what a weird, what a fun thing. That sounds fun to me. It sounds It was fun. I mean, it was definitely yeah, fun. It. Yeah, totally.
0: Um, so we've had this come up with a few people on our series, the way in which actors get nickel and dimed out of things uh, that mm. folks on the outside might think come standard with a Hollywood career. For instance, you, you might think an actor would be flown out by production to a prestigious film festival where their project is being showcased. And yet a lot of times performers go into their own pockets for things like that, for airfare and the hotel and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, acting Has historically had a high unemployment rate, even amongst the population of its active union members. But there is also now this kind of shrinking of a middle class of working actors that's been going on for quite some time uh, with reduced residuals and reduced day and weekly rates. So instead of paying an actor for a week of work with paid days off, which were called holding days, they now organize the whole schedule in order to compress all the scenes for a guest star role into one or two days of shooting so they can reduce costs. So it ends up being that you're either a star making real money, or you're broke, or you're doing more than one job in order to be an actor. You know, you want to be acting, I think, more professionally, right? Me?
1: Oh, uh, sure, I'll take that money. But, uh...
0: but do yeah, you consider sure. it? Do you do you consider an acting career to be more of a hobby now for most people than, me, uh, than ever yeah, before?
1: I think it's I think it's mostly a very expensive hobby. I think it's yeah. this weird, um, you know, it's it's. It's this thing that everyone kind of deals with out here where, yeah, you are actually making a craft. You are providing a service for a cop, But that service also happens to be part of your dream. And they take advantage of that.
0: Right. Uh, Exactly. And you you see that
1: all over the place. Like, I just did. uh, I mean, I've seen. I've been both to not big film festivals, but I have been to film festivals where, like, I've done red carpets. I've done all that stuff. Right. And I also just did a bunch of extra work at the end of 2019. So, like, yeah, I've seen both sides of it. And uh, it's all driven, though, by like people really want to just be famous or be a good actor and be recognized. Yeah, they'll take advantage of that shit.
0: And wherever there's a discussion about the economics of a business or a government, there's also uh, always the ugly intersection of institutional racism and sexism. Yeah, we've said this before on this program. Two things. Acting in the arts isn't in the top category of essential work with so many issues going on right now. That being Mm -hmm. said, Broadway has completely shut down until optimistically late 2021. Center Theater Mm -hmm. Group here in Los Angeles had to furlough about half their entire staff. Many workers across the (laughs) arts, everyone from carpenters and designers to actors, directors, and writers have had their work completely disappear. So today, we wanted to direct you all to the Instagram account for Be an Arts Hero, at Be an Arts Hero. It's a group that's advocating for the Don Act, which stands for Defend Arts Workers Now. It's a comprehensive bill to provide arts worker relief, which this week is traveling through the U.S. Senate. Here's some of the copy directly from at Be an Arts Hero. The U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis reports that arts and cultural productions account for $877 billion, with a B, billion dollars in value and 4.5% of the total U.S. economy, contributing 5 million jobs to the total job market. There is no full American economic recovery without an arts and culture recovery. So go to Be An Arts Hero at Be An Arts Hero if you're interested to donate and to get involved. Cool. Cool. Exciting. All right. Yeah. Okay, folks. Once again, (laughs) you've been very patient with us. Without further ado, here now is the very talented and charming Brandon
1: Scott.
0: So you and I, we went to college together. We did. We did. And you went to the Atlantic Theater Company acting school. Oh, no. Am I wrong? I went to Strasbourg. Oh, you went to Strasbourg. Oh, okay. Strasburg
2: for three years and then classical for a year. Now, what were you? You you were Adler,
0: right? I was Adler, but I did a couple of years of musical theater uh, before I went to Adler, uh, which I hugely enjoyed. Um, Wait, you
2: did musical theater.
0: I did, yeah. I I sang my way into college. Um, Claude, I had no idea yeah yeah i I did a I did a lot of that in in school yeah for those first two years and it was great it, honestly it was um it was like it was like American Idol every day I mean like the kids were incredibly talented um I was there with uh, Melissa fumero and some other folks that we know I think Kristen Bell was like a year ahead of me although we didn't know each other um but uh yeah it was a it was a great time now what I remember about the there were always rumors about each of the studios I had thought you were at, at Atlantic which I know had like these very very strict attendance policies, where you had to be at class like 15 minutes before class started. Do you remember the these stories? I do stories? remember that.
2: I had friend, I had one of my good, well, Joel Macaulay and Courtney Sauls, yeah, good friends of mine still. Uh, yeah, they were in Atlantic, and they were always stressing about we have to get to class.
0: So you were at Strasburg. the 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 line on Strasburg that I remembered was that a lot of people quit that first semester. <laughs> They were like, nah, no thanks. Because
2: we were trying to Daniel Day Lewis this shit, you know. Sorry, oh, I can okay. curse. Right, I right. Can curse.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sure. Well,
2: um, I, I, think, yeah, Strasburg was the one where it's like I forget the um the joke on every acting studio. How many student of that student?
0: There was a light bulb like, a joke light bulb. for every studio, right?
2: Yeah, and I don't remember all of them, but I remember the Strasberg one was something like, Mama. Me had a light bulb, and then you just start crying. You know? <laughs> that's, that's that's what the answer was. So um, I think a lot of people were shocked.
0: I think the Adler one was like it, it, the the students stood on a chair and held the light bulb, and the world revolved around them. Oh wow! Wait, I don't get that one. I think though. that the, the idea that Adler folks were so uh, narcissistic, Conceited? or that everything <laughs> okay, had big egos. Maybe I could be. I think that was what it was. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting.
2: Um, is Interesting. Do you feel like that was very true?
0: Well, you know what? I'll tell you what I – so I I was shopping, like, for my next studio because I, I, I wanted to do at least a couple years at one of the more sort of traditional studios. And so what I would do is I'd go to see those main stage shows. And in the programs for every show, they'd have where each uh, performer was, which studio they were at. And pound for pound, it was the Adler kids who were – I walked away going, like, they were great. They were the best in the show. Now, I wasn't – this was – I scienced that stuff. I wasn't – I had no – I didn't come in with any bias. <laughs> wow. So that was my – so that's what helped me make my – ultimately my – And junior. you went
2: to Adler's sophomore year or junior Which one?
0: My junior and, and senior years. Okay. Nice. You did a year of classical? I did a year of
2: classical, three years of Strasbourg. And I love Strasbourg. I know a lot of people had issues with it. and. Um, it's a uh, an interesting studio, but I, I really appreciated my teachers and uh, a lot, and I'm still friends with uh, quite a few of them. It, it's so funny. I, I feel like I was one of those NYU kids who was like, "Oh, I'm gonna do Broadway. I'm never gonna do film and television. You know, I'm gonna stay in New York." Now they teach the business of the industry. I think as part of your uh, degree, but I don't, I don't know about you, but when I was there, we didn't learn anything about the business side of this
0: whole thing. No, it was very much, it was very much about loving and, and being devoted to theater in a world that was moving maybe past, you know, had already moved past the, I mean, we, we can, we can discuss more about theater as always being this thing they say is always dying, but it still is still here and still is so vital. Um, But Yeah. yeah, but you would think that in a school that had like such a, solid film department that there'd be a little bit more maybe introductions made between those groups of people.
2: That's what, yeah. And, um, I remember there were a lot of people who were part of that movement to somehow connect the two schools, the film department and the drama department, um, that there should be more of a interplay between the two. Yeah. But classical, I just randomly ended up, I think I I needed to take an elective and ended up in this guy, Louis Sheeter's class. And, um, he, he was amazing. The classical studio there was really, really awesome. I really appreciated that. And so, in
0: classical studio, you're really focusing on Shakespeare. Is that yeah, what it Jeff was?
2: Shakespeare and uh, yeah, Shakespeare, Shakespeare, Shakespeare.
0: Now, you've given me uh, one or two compliments over the years, and and uh, first of all, I need you to know how much those kind words have meant to me, uh, because you're one of the best actors that I know.
2: Oh, please. Thank you. That's so sweet. But
0: You're charming and you're silly and fun, but you're also you're not you don't perform all the time. You let things in uh, and you can also switch and be very cerebral. Sometimes you can be very manipulative, like particularly in your performance of uh, Susan Laurie Park's play Top Dog Underdog, which I saw you do with our friend Ernest Waddell. You saw that? <laughs> I did. Yeah. And we were just in our first couple of years, I think, in L.A. Is yeah.
2: That, right? that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I forgot about that. And you
0: were both great in it. Yeah. What? So tell me about, because I saw that play twice on Broadway. I loved it so much. What is that what is that play about to you? I have to think about that one
2: again. Um, you know, I think in the simplest form, it's about, uh, I forget if they, I think they were really brothers. I don't.
0: I think so. Yeah. I don't
2: remember if, or if they were, but yeah, to me, it's just always been about brothers, brotherhood. And, um, you know, uh, I, for me, I know there are all these other themes with that play, um, which I, I don't even know if I could remember them all right now. And some of them are very cerebral. Um, but, uh, for me, just from the get go, cause I have an older brother and we don't have a, uh, let's say as explosive of a relationship, but at one point we did. And, um, and now he's, that's my homie. That's my ride or die. That's my best friend. He was the, you know, the best man at my wedding. But, um, there was something about siblings that I just connected to and wanted to explore. And, um, and then Ernest was a good friend of mine from, or he is a good friend of mine from college. And so I, uh, it was actually his idea to do it. And we had, you know, yeah, friends for so long you have your things that you uh, can bring to it also your uh, the good and the bad so uh, I just kind of felt like a, a natural fit for the two of us
0: yeah I, I, I appreciate that thing about the friction between brothers I, I have a younger sister but now I'm raising two boys and I'm curious about what that will be like for the two of them as they grow up I hear with yeah. boys it's a lot of hit like they beat each other up a lot it's a lot of Why competition I, yeah I don't know I'm going to try to not let that happen, but
2: <laughs> I mean, it's 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 out of your hand. I mean, it's part of it's like it's in the DNA of of boys. I don't I don't think you can you can change anything about that, but uh but do do girls not do I don't know. Do maybe we need some some sisters on the show, but do do siblings, women sisters ever have as you
0: know, <laughs> I don't know, but I think we should definitely do. We should spend a, an entire episode of a podcast talking about what women do. <laughs> I think that, that would go real great for us, probably. Okay. Oh, yeah. Let you me tell you about this women. This out. is what women do. Um, I think I don't know. I don't really know. I wouldn't presume. Yeah, I don't know. Um, right. I wanted to ask about, you know, what, what would you say your experiences with people in the business? Are they are they mostly good? Do you, do you feel or mostly bad? Do you think it's a requirement for, for genius artists or genius business people in Hollywood to to also be ruthless assholes? What has been your experience? Oh man,
2: I've I've been very fortunate. I've had mostly good experiences. You know, um, I haven't really had any assholes or. Uh, but again, that I some that may have been because like early in my career, I was also <laughs> just not trying to, you know. I I wasn't I was how do I say this um I think I kept myself so small that I was unnoticeable would say that <laughs> so maybe <laughs> maybe I didn't get you know uh the short end of the stick or I didn't get like you know the uh um but I also haven't seen that so I I can't just relate to that but um I don't think you have to be an asshole at all and I think that also with what's you know Me too in 2020 or even before that, everything that's going on, I think we're learning hopefully more and more, you know, we don't have to be assholes to each other. Um,
0: Hopefully, yeah.
2: But I do think that there's this, uh, I think that you do have to learn to stand up for yourself. I think you do have to learn to value your worth. Yeah. And and I think that um, me, I'm someone who's, very conflict uh is it averse adverse yeah averse Averse? okay um and so it's similar to kind of like the thing about um myself as being someone who doesn't want to be difficult and thinking that any step every step outside of this certain bubble or this certain like circle means that I'm difficult it's like I'm someone who's very conflict averse so it took like even in therapy was like oh you can kind of like you know you standing up for yourself is not you know, causing conflict, you know, you yeah. standing up for yourself, just might be saying, no, I don't want to go on this audition. You know what I mean? And it's like, right. or, or you, you know, just all these ways in which I think I was so nervous about valuing my worth and all these things I was, ner- you know, so, but again, I think there's a difference between confidence and arrogance, you know, and I think these are the things yeah. that in a business that you know, has ups and downs, roller coaster ups and downs and can reward you and take it all away so quickly. I think that hopefully or just for myself, I hope that um I don't become like a slave to that pattern and my moods don't become a slave to that pattern. Yeah. But um I'll tell you on one thing I tell myself though is I wanna be one of those actors on set. I wanna know everyone's name.
0: Yeah, right. I,
2: I want I want to talk to them, you know, I, but, you know, like totally. I, don't, I don't want to get anyone's way. But, you know, I also want to just I want to have some type of connection with everyone because some of my favorite sets, like the number one, has been just top down. Set,
3: it is amazing.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, I've seen those people in action, too. And I'm always amazed at how uh, their endurance, their ability to conserve enough energy to make sure that they are. Um, shaking hands or that won't happen anymore um, oh, but no. oh, I know no more bumps. no more shaking hands but that they are they're checking in with people they're, they're making real connections with everybody every single person on that set and it's it is that is when you see that kind of leadership on a on a on a show it's really encouraging yeah
2: and it's just it makes it such a wonderful experience for everyone. What I love about theater is it is theater really feels like family you know yeah and, that's and, right. I love when you get on a show where it really feels like, you know, family and everyone's just having a good time and just, you know, uh, collaborating, but also, um, there are no egos. Um, but you know, that's, that's my dream world.
0: All right, so so the next thing that you're in that's dropping is the second season of Netflix's Dead to Me. That
2: is very true, very true, very excited about that.
0: Now, Kevin Costner apparently said that a Netflix movie he did with Woody Harrelson is now the most watched movie he's ever done. Are you finding that true about Dead to Me? Is it now the thing that most people know you from? Do do do, do they have a bitter, bigger audience over there than Network does?
2: Yeah, Dead to Me was crazy. Netflix's reach in viewership was something that i was not prepared for
0: yeah yeah that's exciting uh
2: yeah i'm i mean like i'm, I'm a bit of a private person <laughs> and um i just remember when at the premiere when uh, someone, a representative from Netflix got up at the podium and uh, they were about to screen the first three episodes or first two episodes of the premiere, maybe it was three, um, this representative was like, Netflix, you know, no, actually on the red carpet, someone asked me, they said, oh, are you prepared for, you know, have you thought about, you know, Netflix's reach and that you're a part of a show that's, you know, Netflix. And I was like, no, I haven't. I haven't really, really thought about that. Like I, I had no answer there. And then when the person got up on the podium uh, before the screening, and they were talking about however many million. I don't know how, what their viewers, uh, their numbers are. And then they were just talking about all over the world. And they said tonight at blah, 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 everyone over the w- across the world will be able to watch dead to me and blah, blah, blah. And everyone started clapping. Then it hit me. And I was like, Oh, Oh, there, a lot of people are probably going to watch this sh- show. And, yeah. um, and I, you know, also for myself, like, I mean, I had a lot of fun on the show. It was an it was an awesome show. I didn't ex- didn't think that people would like love that character so much or whatnot, and. So then from there, I mean, it was really like a, a bit of a game changer. But then I just started getting, I had to change my <laughs> name on some social media stuff because I just started getting random, random, random requests like hmm. all the time. And then um, we were in London, like every, you know, just we were at a James Blake concert and someone was like, oh my God, this was like three or four days after it had come out. And, you know, um, yeah so uh that's pretty cool
0: it was to be to be recognized in another country is pretty cool
2: yeah it's it's i mean it's it's humbling it's awesome it's uh also it's a it's a fun show
0: it is a really fun show yeah and so and you and you were talking about working with a family that sort of dynamic and you're you're finding that on that with that great group of people oh they're
2: awesome i mean everyone on that show is is freaking uh spectacular
0: now, is it true that you were close to booking, I might get this wrong, but were you were you close to booking the titular role in Antoine Fisher and that you had a chemistry read with Denzel Washington?
2: Oh, no, Great Debaters. The Great Debaters.
0: Oh, was a different it was it a different Denzel Washington movie?
2: Yes, The Great Debaters is Denzel Washington did that. That's the one that I think put Nate Parker on the map. Um and uh I I mean it I think it came down to like me and maybe three or four other guys or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how many, but we had um I just remember I had two uh reads with Denzel and oh um God. and Journey Smollett. Yo oh, oh wow my God. Denzel, if you hear this story, okay, Denzel <laughs> I wasn't wrong. <laughs> I wasn't drunk, Denzel. <laughs>
0: what you weren't? Would you have to clarify that you weren't drunk?
2: I wasn't drunk. I don't. I think he thinks I was drunk.
0: Oh come on! <laughs> I, I no. so wait a minute. <laughs> you so you me. tell please, please tell me how did this go? Why would okay. he think that?
2: So there's this scene. Where okay, the character is very much connected to. Uh, he he's a dark character, very much connected to uh, his like his bottle, his booze is a character for him. He has a deep relationship with the with that with uh with. I, mean, I don't remember if he was an alcoholic or whatnot, but um but he had this deep relationship with the, with his drinking and his dark side. So um I for. <laughs> I don't know, maybe a couple of days. Walked around with a flask,
0: okay, with, um, oh, with like
2: vodka or something in it, and I was just like, you know, I was I was, I was doing my Daniel Day. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and so then, um, once I got the character and I, I explored the relationship and all these things, I was like, okay, got it. So I, I sterilized the bottle, the the flask, and just walked around with water in it, right? But still kind of like kept it going. But the thing is, it was hard to get rid of the smell of the alcohol from a flask. Well,
0: I mean, if you're sterilizing it, are you sterilizing it with alcohol?
2: No, I just put in water, like warm water in it. So maybe okay. that's not all sterilizing. Okay. Right. I
0: don't know if that's sterilizing, but all right. Okay. So yeah, but it still smells like alcohol. Sure. It's, okay. It
2: still smells out. So... <laughs> This is the second chemistry read, okay, and I'm reading with this young kid who ended up getting it he's dope uh his name is Whitaker um not for Whitaker, but uh I think his name is Denzel Whiz- Whitaker actually um and so uh very talented young kid and um so I use the bottle as a prop the the flask as a prop and uh do the scene and in the middle of the scene the the young kid. Denzel takes the flask because I think there's a moment in the script where he's supposed to drink out of the flask and he drinks out of it and like spits the water out or whatnot. And it was a very amazing reaction. And I didn't expect him to actually take my flask and do it. Anyway, we finished the scene and Denzel's, Denzel Washington is very quiet and he's like nodding his head. He's like, mm-hmm. wow. He's like, you know, you're the only person who brought in the flat like oh, no, he's like he's God. like he's like, Wow, I really I, I didn't really get the relationship or something. He said something like the, the relationship between the character and his drinking and all this stuff. He was like, I see it. And he's like, Hey, can I can I see that? Can I see that real quick? Can I see that flask?
0: <laughs> oh my no, my God. Oh
2: my God. And so he gets the flask and he opens it and he sniffs it, right? And I have no idea what he's doing. Like, I have, I'm just like, I'm like, oh, he, he it went great. I feel great about it. He's like, he missed it. How, how, how big
0: is this room? How many people are in this room? What is happening? Tell me um, the, I'm you got to give me some environment here.
2: I'm trying to remember. It's on Sony Live. It wasn't that big of a room. Um, And I think it was just me, him, him. Uh, the producer who I want to say his name is Todd Black, but I might be making that name up.
0: How um, old are you when this is happening?
2: 24, 25. Oh my God. You
0: are new to LA. This is a, this is the biggest thing that's happened to you so far.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm. Oh my I'm, God. I'm freaking out. Um, And, um, and he sniffs it and then kind of like, mm, mm, and he's like, okay, okay. He's like, well, thanks. You know, and I'm, I'm just thinking, whoa, okay. Like, that was, like, the end of the audition. And it, I don't know if it ended abruptly or if in my mind, in my uh, <laughs> now, I think it ended abruptly. But I do remember walking out being like, there was something weird about that ending there, you know? Like, there was something weird about, I got this feeling. And then I was walking, and then I I, I was like, he sniffed the, the, the flask, and I opened up the flask. And I, I hadn't even been... Like, whenever I had used it during the scene, I had never taken a whiff of it, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Just like, my, my my nostrils didn't work, and I don't have the greatest sense of smell. But, um, but then I really smelled it, and I was like, oh, shit, this smell still smells like alcohol. And I'm like, I wonder if this dude thinks that I was actually drunk. And who knows? Maybe he didn't. But I just always thought back and was like... I wonder if he thinks I was drinking during that scene and I pulled a freaking James Dean up in here.
0: <laughs> I mean, look, I that's tough. That's a really tough one. I think that it's right at that early spot where you're still out of college, you're still out of acting school, you're 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 really committed to like being the artist and you're you're probably a little heavier artist than you are business <laughs> at that <laughs> point. So <laughs> I it's know. tough. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, I've had plenty of moments that I look back on that I worry about. Oh, did I say that? Did I did I come off wrong or too or like, particularly when you said that thing about the arrogance confidence? I th- feel like a lot of times when people are arrogant, it's because they're really afraid, you know? Yeah. So and I've had those moments. But that yeah, that that that's an incredible story. Yeah. Um, I hope you get an opportunity to to ha, ha, you, you haven't worked with him since. You've never seen have you seen him since? No,
2: I um no. I let's, let's, no, I haven't seen him since. I haven't worked with him since. I did I remember flying to go see him cuz I wanted to see fences and
0: um on when it was on Broadway?
2: When it was in broad yeah, when it was, yes, when oh, he great. was doing it on wow. Broadway and um and I remember my acting teacher from high school, right? Because I I was talking to her at the time. And she was like, you know what? You should just write him a note and leave it at like the.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. She was
2: like, write him a note and leave it at the uh, like, I forget. She said you can go up to the box office and ask them to leave it backstage for him or something. And so I wrote this note. And then um, I chickened out. I chickened out from sending, yeah. but what's interesting is the other, like, literally, like, probably about a month ago, I found that note.
0: Oh, my Still gosh. Have it.
2: Yeah. And, uh, and it was like, hey, it's Brandon Scott. I auditioned for you for the Great Debaters and just, you know, blah, blah, blah. So
0: one day, though. That's, inc- that's, that's incredible, man. One day. One day you're going to meet him. You're going to work with him. I'm sure of it. So you talked a little bit about high school. I wanna know so you're are you from am I getting this right? You're from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Alabama, yeah. So yeah. does so how important is the phrase roll tide to you?
2: Um, it's uh it's life or death where I come from, man. <laughs> That's you what know? I hear. Um, yeah. Not yeah, I mean like kids, their first words they speak often are roll tide.
0: Wow. Um, did you now did you play did you play football? Did you was that part of your Part of growing up for you? No,
2: no. I was a soccer player, and I also played uh, I did martial arts since I was like ten years old.
0: And you still, and you still do martial arts.
2: Still do martial arts. What,
0: what, what, what kind of martial arts uh, do you do? You practice
2: right now? I'm doing more Muay Thai, but I, uh, I'm a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. I haven't. Um, I'm a Shotokan black belt and also uh I've done Muay Thai, I've done some jujitsu. I used to teach um every, bit of everything and uh Wow.
0: But uh, Are you, were you training to be a superhero or did you were you did you need to defend yourself growing up? What what was the what attracted <laughs> you to? Did you did you just wanna be in, in superhero movies? Well that too.
2: I mean everyone yes. Um I feel like we're coming full circle with a lot of things. Number one uh, like we talked about boys and siblings, okay oh, <laughs> like, oh, I need to defend myself <laughs> <so>. <laughs> uh, okay,
0: now I'm getting a better picture, okay, got it and,
2: and but also it was mostly you know i um i I think I kicked my aunt at one point,
1: oh my <laughs> like gosh. playing
2: around, playing around playing okay around. yeah, because I used to watch I used to watch a lot of martial arts movie movies and my my dad was like, put that boy in martial arts, put that boy in karate. And so, hmm. and so uh, that's how I started, and then loved it. And of course, I thought I was a ninja. And then, interestingly, I, I was on NYU's team training for the Olympics.
0: I remember, I remember seeing. I didn't know you very well, but I remember being over at like Cole's gym, and and oh, y'all y'all had wow. your setup down there. And I remember, I remember seeing you and being like, "Oh, I, I've seen that guy around." And yeah, you were you were all suited up, and yeah. I didn't know that. So, so we had a we had a team. We
2: had a, yeah. It was a jito Kwon team, um, which is like Taekwondo. And uh, yeah, we we had a really, a really. I think I thought we were a good team.
0: Did you ever have to use any of that in your life to defuse? A situation, not even to escalate, but I know a lot of these are usually to like help defuse a, a potentially violent situation. Does that ever happen to you? Um, are you no, still I mean, are I've... you waiting for that day every morning? You're like, this could be the day. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, there was a. I feel like there was a period where being uh, a friend, uh, every now and then we'll be at a bar and we'll be like, "Yo, man, we just want to get into a fight so we can actually use these moves one day." <laughs> um, no, actually, no. I've never had to use it like that. I think that the I've never had to use my martial arts skills, let's say that, but um, I definitely think there have been quite a few times I've just – the discipline, not just in de-escalating a situation, but I think – I always say that I think my martial arts training actually prepared me for many things about this business. Um, And I I am constantly grateful about – for the things like – the discipline and the right.
0: perseverance
2: and the goal setting and the kind of like, you know, all those things. Cause I, 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 think that they, I've tried to use that mentality to kind of just deal with, you know, this business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. On the, the discipline that, that, that resonates with me. Did you do March?
2: What? Wait, you, you play basketball, right?
0: No, you know, what's funny. I loved basketball, but basketball, I love so much when I, I used to, practice all the time as a kid growing up i'd take my bike okay. down to the playground i'd shoot hoops there and then like there was a time when we were living in california we had a hoop for about the three years that we were here when i was in about middle school but i'm terrible at it i'm just terrible at it i got <laughs> i can't the ball does not roll off my fingers very well like i'm okay at, at a couple of sports but basketball was not one of them. and i'm tall but what was your sport
2: or what i did a, sport
0: I, I would what do was it? like ten, I, would, I was pretty good at tennis
2: Okay, I can see that. Yeah,
0: um, I'm okay at golf. Like, I'm okay at like bougie, bougie shit.
2: <laughs> tennis though, tennis is no joke, man. I mean, neither is golf. Actually, but
0: golf just uh, takes all that focus. But I love tennis. Tennis was tennis. Yeah, it can get it gets intense in 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 the best way. I did a little wrestling in high school. I was doing wrestling in high school. And oh, you wrestled. Like, Wow, yeah, okay, well. and then, like the the music and drama teachers at my high school came and collected me, and they were like, "You're not doing that how wait tell me
2: how do yeah how do you how did you transition? And when did you transition into musical theater?
0: Um, what was it that got me started with that? I was, and did you
2: always sing or
0: what? Yeah. You know, I just, I just started like singing along to like Disney soundtracks when I was a little kid. Like I really liked singing. Like I would sing all the like Gaston stuff from Beauty and the Beast. And then I auditioned for a production of Evita when I was a little kid in a professional production. And I got the... I think it was because my music teacher was like, you should, there's an audition and you should go audition. So I got my first job when I was like 11 playing an Argentine kid in the, in a production of Evita. And then I just realized, like, I remember having the thought, like, a lot of people really want to do this. And if I can, if I'm good at it, I should do it. Mm -hmm. And I loved it too. But I mean, I just thought I was, I was, I've always been pretty practical. I don't know why, but I've always been a pretty practical person about like, well, I gave myself like a limit, like if I wasn't successful by the age of 30, that I would start a family. That was very important to me. And um, (laughs) and so I'm and I'm not that successful, but I did get my family and I like I'm pretty happy with where I'm at, where how things have worked out. But, yeah, it started back then. And then the singing just kept opening doors for me. That's what it was like. It was the thing that was opening. It got me into college and and, uh, it was helping me to book and and uh, I had a music teacher in high school uh, and a drama teacher in high school who just sort of corralled me and they were like, we're going to have you, you know, do these shows. And it was almost it was uh, I, I was fortunate that people took an interest in seeing me do well. It's, that started around like middle school and then went through um, and into college a little bit. And then I got to L.A. and everybody was like, nope, not you. We're not helping you at all. (laughs)
2: that's what they no 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 man like are you still because i mean i thought you were freaking awesome in canyon
0: oh yeah so right so we did this uh play uh last year together and i got to understudy in it and uh i man that was such a great time
2: it's a really really phenomenal script and phenomenal group of people and
0: uh and you all were gonna take it to to the kirk douglas correct
2: yeah, we were supposed to do that.
0: I'm but so sorry that that got sidelined by this health crisis. By this core life?
2: What, is, what are we saying? Core? The core. Core. The core, core. That's, the core life. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man, but I, I think it's going to happen again at some Good. point.
0: You and I tested, I think, for the same pilot one year.
2: What pilot was that? That sounds familiar. Was it the at ABC?
0: Yeah, it was set up. At, I think it was just the, the studio was ABC and the network was going to be NBC.
2: Was it what was it? Um, were we secretary Like it was like we um... were.
0: I I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but I know that it was about we were gonna. It was the, our two characters were supposed to be these kind of buddies that were thrown together because of maybe their girlfriends. Like they weren't buddies, but their girlfriends were buddies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's kind of a my character was kind of a not so not so smooth kind of or cool or I don't know whatever whatever L A tells us that you know, this character was supposed to be and what the other, and then his, the, I think your character was supposed to be the, uh, the, the kind of guy that my character would want to be friends with or something.
2: Jeez. I, I, I remember, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I like remember the room.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do what I do remember is an article came out it didn't go forward and an article it didn't came go out forward, yeah. that said like there wasn't they couldn't find the talent in LA. And I remember yes. reading that and being like, "Well, yes. fuck you." <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> I remember that
2: one. Um it was
0: oh, What an insult. Gosh. So your next job, we talked about a little bit you and I, um you are going to be a series regular on the final season of Goliath. goliath yeah that's great man congrats oh, thank
2: you thank you man um this is this is a dope role it's a really dope role and what's great about um goliath is uh they, they they've already fleshed out the whole all the scripts yeah and so um so that you know where it's going you know oh cool um yeah for dead to me is uh is is a bit different they're still you know like we don't get all the scripts from the get-go maybe um and i don't even think Christine Applegate and Linda Cardellini do, but I'm I'm not 100 sure. They probably I think they know where they're going, but um, d- to me is a lot of fun because they're like they're breaking the scripts and all these things as we kind of go. I think the you know they they probably have like the first three ups out, and then we get the other ones as we go. Um, yeah, this Goliath one is I mean I think it's it's a dope part because um, it's essential to the story for all these reasons. You know, I don't want to give away anything.
0: Yeah, but, no, um, no,
2: but it's. It's, it's so far, I mean, before they shut it down, it was a really cool, col- prob- maybe one of the most collaborative experiences I've been a part of, um, in terms of, uh, for, uh, a, a network or whatnot. Um, because we, I mean, we can talk about anything and suggest anything and, uh, I mean, it's it's just been so much fun um, because the showrunner and the the creative team behind there they want they want your ideas, you know. They want you to to uh, to talk character and to talk. Well, what if and um and what do you th- you know and and the writers, everyone is so on board for us, you know. Really creating like they have they have it and it's all there. But then sometimes you know. When you're there shooting it, it's just kind of like, well, what do you feel like doing? And I remember Billy Bob Thornton said, he said, you know, one of the mm. dopest things about this show is you have to be prepared to light for anything. And that's kind of what they do. And so um, because hmm. you might just get the impulse to just do something that, you know, on, maybe on another show they're not lit for. But on this one, it's kind of like, yo, this is your playground. What do you want to do? And feel free, to, feel free to, hmm. to to do it. And um, it's it's really exciting.
0: That's awesome. And they and you said they had to shut down production sort of in the in the middle because of the health crisis. So what have they? What are they reaching out and saying? Like, hang tight, we got this. We're you know we, we have a plan. Or what what kind of information are you getting from that particular production right now?
2: Oh, we've gotten some updates. Just it's it's mostly hang tight for now you
0: know did you were you about halfway through with what you needed to shoot or where were you
2: i think we were probably a third third through got it i mean i'm curious about how the whole industry starts back up not just because of you know you have to sign away your life but um i mean i'm I'm curious about the the backlog of all these like major stars who you know what happens if you know mm-hmm. star a who's supposed to have been shooting all through june had another job that was supposed to start in uh september you know and they had another job in yep. january and
0: they have another right. job in
2: march and they have another. you know what i mean it's like how do you it's, it can be get, a big mess you know? and so that's what i'm really curious about with all these shows um what happens with the backlog and schedules and how do we pick up but um yeah They'll figure it out.
0: Well, hopefully it's coming back. You're going to finish it out. I'm very excited to see it. It sounds it sounds really exciting. Um, before we go, we should probably plug your two, not one, your two theater companies.
2: Oh, yes. Um, I am a theater in Los Angeles. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I am a theater. <laughs> and the other ones, because the other ones, ammo, sometimes called ammunition. I don't know what the deal is with these four-letter... Word theater and they've partnered together now, they have partnered with each other, and yeah, Ammo and I am. Uh, have a lot of NYU kids involved with it, former NYU students, and um, and then I'm also part of if I can plug another one in house theater which does site specific theater, and then uh, and then I have a band too called Verbal and Icarus. And uh, if we're just plugging away.
0: Yeah, please. Do you want to direct people to some to some social media handles or profiles or websites?
2: Sure. Uh, God. Iama is at Iama Theater. Ammunition Theater is, I think, at Ammunition Theater. <laughs> My band, Verbal and Icarus, you can find us. Uh, just type in Verbal and Icarus. Probably the easiest way. Um, and then in-house at in-house. And then if you want to learn more about our dogs... I think you can d- at Tima and Forge.
0: You oh oh, there's a oh you have a separate social media profile for the dogs.
2: Yeah yeah yeah, my my wife uh, she's the she's the manager of that one.
0: <laughs>
2: but there's some dope shots. I'll tell you, these <laughs> these, are, these are some dope dogs, y'all.
0: I guess I should yeah, I should spin off another. I don't know if I'm gonna get these handles for both my kids. I t- was talking to our friend uh, Shapiro about it, and he he already has got I think the social media handles for the kid.
2: Oh that's smart that's smart yeah have you is it available do you
0: know uh i you know what i have i have not looked yet i, I you know my my feeling on the whole thing is to, to keep them off of their phones as long as possible but um i don't know i don't want to shortchange them if it's you know if it's probably going to be these are going to be things they might want in the future so i will probably yeah. take a i'll have to look into it i just haven't done it yet do it
2: because uh there's a brand someone has in yeah i hope you hear this Brandon Scott in Canada who's a real estate Uh-oh. agent uh uh um, uh, I think they've had the site for I don't know how long. I think last time it said the domain was valued at like fifteen hundred dollars or something. Oh, oh, so man if I wanted to get that domain, fifteen hundred dollars. So uh while a domain usually should cost what like nine ninety nine on GoDaddy or something like that. So um
0: get get those
2: Domains,
0: Claude. (laughs) He's he's holding you hostage, man. That's not cool. Yeah, you know what? You know what I think? Really, I think you're going to be. I think you're going to continue on and be one of those people who doesn't need to be on any of it. That's what I think. (laughs) Well, listen, buddy. I'm just going to get
2: Brandon one day. I'm just going to be like Madonna. I'm going to be Brandon.
0: Just the one where, yeah, (laughs) the only Brandon, exactly. Well, buddy, thank you, thank you again for doing this. Um, You, you are a a genuine and a generous man. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, and I wish you a lot of continued happiness and success.
2: Thanks man. Anytime. And, uh, yeah, this was fun and stay safe, stay stay healthy. Everyone out there. Yeah. Yeah. When you hear this, but, um, love you, dude.
0: All right. Love you too, man. I'll talk to you soon.
2: Okay. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye.
0: Well, there you have it. My interview with Brandon Scott, a big thank you again to Brandon for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. Before we move on to our second interview today, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast, wherever you're getting your podcast from today. We've got more incredible interviews with folks like Melissa Fumero, Chantal Tui, Ryder Doyle, Sarah Paxton, Christine Woods, Tembi Locke, and Vinny Chibber coming in the next few weeks. If you like what you hear so far, please give us those five-star ratings. Leave us a nice comment. We so appreciate all of your ratings, reviews, and kind words. And we want to keep bringing you these great episodes. Next up is Jessica Nurse. Jess is another alum of the NYU Tisch School. She has a minor in producing, so we talk a little bit about what a producing program offers to art students. We also talk about being an extrovert versus an introvert and receiving the felicitous news from your reps that your character is going from a co-star to a recurring role on a network TV show. It's a great chat. Here now is me talking with my friend, Jess.
3: I feel like I'm a city kid too I did grow up in a suburb but I was Boston and we were like 10 minutes outside of Boston and so from third grade on I was in a suburb but before then I was kind of like in Boston and then um and then New York and then LA I feel like I don't really get what it's like to not be close to like a hub of people and I'm also such an extrovert and I get such a buzz from from people and from life and from kind of events, and so this has been a really weird thing to be separate from all of that. That's interesting
0: to hear you say that because I feel like it's it's so it's almost fashionable to say. I feel like if I, I hear a lot of people who happen to be performers or or comedy writers or TV writers, and they do, they do a lot of posting about like how they're introverts, and it's it's actually refreshing to hear somebody say that they're an extrovert.
3: I, I do find that it's a very, uh, should I say hipster quality? <laughs> like, I'm an introvert, like I'm a... <laughs> but you, but you would also agree with that, like that you're an indoor kid, that you're, that you like being on your own. Yeah.
0: I, I guess I, yeah, I, I like a little bit of both. I suppose. That's one of those things where I'm not totally cl- like, I like going out. I I don't know. I'm okay. Going to a place and, Meeting new people. I don't know that I'm always great at it, but I'm always excited to do it Yeah, um, I'm never afraid
3: I think somebody once Described because I actually didn't know that I was an extrovert for a really long time and I feel like I'm a quieter person I'm like a more observant person. I'm definitely like a good listener And I was going and I was always in theater spaces. So I was always mm. a theater kid in high school and in college and there were these very like loud personalities that were always kind of overshadowing and people would be like, oh, you're an introvert, like you're such an introvert. And then someone and then I kind of took that on and then someone kind of explained it's like where you get your energy from, like what gives you a buzz, what gives you what makes you feel really like in yourself. And I feel hmm. And that was when I was like, oh, I'm most in myself when I'm out. I'm most in myself when I'm, you know, I love crowds like there. I've had so many conversations with people where they're like, oh, I hate concerts because I'm just like in the middle of a crowd. And I'm like, what? That's the best. That's the best part. Yeah. Surrounded by people and to have all this energy and to kind of be a part of something that's bigger than yourself.
0: Yeah, Um, I like that, too. Yeah, I guess it's when somebody talks to you that then then it's a question of like, am I comfortable with this? Or Sometimes, though, I think it's really fun. I I, I don't mind talking to somebody that I that's at a concert and they're they're not being horrible or obnoxious. Like they just want to say, hey, like I'm always there for that conversation.
3: You don't don't feel too much stranger danger.
0: (laughs) No, I don't feel nearly enough stranger danger. (laughs) So yeah, I guess I'm. I guess I'm pretty okay either way. But I know what you mean about being like a theater kid because I've been in those rooms too. And I think sometimes I'm the person who's monopolizing the 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 the, the what's going on in the room. But you know, mm-hmm. as I've gotten older, I think I've become a little bit less that. I think nowadays I'm much more the person who is trying to listen a little bit more. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah. Because there's an intent. I think when you're younger, <laughs> not that I'm like. <laughs> When you're younger, when I was just a wee lad, um, there's, there's, there's an intent, right? Like to, to when you're talking more, it's more about what you're wanting other people to think about you or wanting, you know, to come off as, or to be perceived as, or like, oh, I want this person to think I'm funny or, Ooh, I want this person to think this. And I think when you get older, there's just a sense of like oh nobody's really thinking about me that much (laughs) like I'm and also I'm kind of more okay with myself like the older I get I turn I'm not going to say how old I turn but my birthday's this weekend
0: (laughs) happy birthday
3: thanks
0: (laughs) well I'll just assume now that you're turning 50 (laughs) well I want to ask you about so you said you're you grew up you spent some time growing up in Boston. Were you yeah. were you born
3: in Boston? Yeah, I was born in Boston. What?
0: So what? So you said ten minutes outside of Boston is where your family is?
3: Yeah. So we we grew up in Dorchester, oh, um, yeah. and then around seven or eight, we moved to a suburb called Newton, Massachusetts. Yes. Oh, sure. Um, very idyllic, very affluent. You know, we were. Um, I grew up in. You know a standard middle class, um, income. And, you know, my mom was a doctor and my dad was in television. Um, and yet I felt very poor growing up because I was around like so much wealth and so much like, um,
0: in, in Newton.
3: In Newton, Massachusetts. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't
0: know. I didn't. I, I never know which one of them are rich people, because Dorchester is not as, right?
3: No, no, yeah. no, yeah. So we were, yeah, we grew up uh, originally in a place that was kind of like a little harder of an edge, and definitely we were taking like a bus to go to, um, to the schools that we were going to, and then kind of had this culture shock of... Um, not only going from like a very black neighborhood to like a very, you know, white neighborhood, we were one of three black families that lived in that suburb.
0: Mm, Um, uh,
3: but also to go from, you know, yeah, just to kind of, uh, there was a feeling of, um, like now I can look back and kind of think I thought that was normal. I thought it was normal that there were these like lavish, you know, sweet 16s and bar mitzvahs where like we all got to like get, you know, Tiffany's bags as like an, oh, no. a, oh, a, an after party kiss, you know, and, <laughs> and that's not normal at all. And it was a feeling of, oh, I don't, you know, we're shopping at Marshall's, you know, and. Sure, and... Basement. Exactly. Frugal fannies. <laughs> have you ever heard of frugal fannies
0: no it sounds it sounds funny it sounds like the name of a band i'd like to see
3: any massachusetts kid will know a couple of different stores and frugal fannies is one of them that's a literal
0: massachusetts store no i've not heard about that one really
3: frugal (laughs) fannies
0: what else do i remember from massachusetts my massachusetts days i don't know um, so now we are both alumni of the of NYU's Tisch School. I, although I am a little bit older than you, you you went to a number of the studios there, including Stella Adler. Is that correct? Yeah. What was uh, the experimental theater wing like? Because that's the one that people say like that's the coolest studio. Is that true?
3: In some ways, yes. It's um, it's definitely the studio that really like embraces who you are. I don't know if I would say the coolest studio, because coolest to me always has the connotation of, like, whatever, man. Like, it's, you know, that kind of non... Sure. I don't care. Um, ETW was a lot of, like, just be your weirdest self. Just be your most authentic self. Like, embrace every single part of you, and that's going to make you a better artist. Hmm. Um, and so I really loved that about it. And... And we did some weird shit there. Like we did, am I allowed to swear? I don't know yeah. how this works.
0: Yeah, swear it out. Right.
3: Fuck, um, <laughs> we did some Take weird easy. stuff there. Um, you know, there was a lot of like, it was, it was a mixture of therapy and acting. You know, it was like we would do exercises where you would have to, okay, there was just one exercise where you, you had to be on stage for a minute and you basically had to do your entire inner monologue. You had to act out your entire inner monologue of, of what was happening. So you would be on that stage, everyone would be looking at you and you would say like, ooh, everyone's looking at me, and that feels weird. And oh, I'm—I think I said that wrong. And and you know, oh, I'm—I really like you. Like you know, we've really bonded over the last. Oh, that was weird to call that out. And you would just go on this like minute long of calling out the voices wow. that that come wow. up for you. Um,
0: I like so that because you like get that. you get into your sort of your subconscious, which is in a way it's like a lot of what we we try to do as actors is like start to become aware of our of our inner monologues would you agree
3: yeah yeah and i think that adler it was a really good mix to do adler and etw because they came from the same kind of heart space which was being the work to be a, a good human is the work to be a good artist and the you know awareness of self without judgment that's a big adler um, is, um is it you know is the practice of being a good actor and so like the more that you can kind of understand yourself and the more that you can uh, practice um, like having that lens into humanity is you know the better you are the better you can be
0: absolutely now in addition to a drama degree you also got a producing minor
3: yeah did you you. so
0: what did they teach you in the producing program though I'm very curious Do they teach you how Um, to like do a budget? I'm assuming, right?
3: (laughs) Kind of. Um, I really structured my producing minor because what I wanted to do was get a screenwriting minor and that didn't exist. But you could take screenwriting classes to uh, to kind of I forget what that's called electives I don't know they had they yeah you could take screenwriting classes towards your producing minor and so um so that's what I did but my main producing classes were a lot more about um like what what works (laughs) they were a little bit about how to pitch things um uh they really examined kind of like film and television and networks and so I, I feel like I got kind of a basic understanding of how how Hollywood works hmm. and then all of my like more specific classes were centered in writing
0: do you feel now that you know what you know about you've lived in Hollywood for uh some time now um do you feel like the stuff that you were taught in school is applicable was it is it still relevant? Do you feel like a lot of it is outdated now what you were being taught?
3: Some of it I still remember but yeah some of it is outdated um, and I'm really thankful that I've had the ability to keep my education going like within acting and Writing, um, that I, have like, continued to take classes and continued to be a part of it. And then just the education of being out here and being, you know, cast in things and also writing things. And um, you're constantly learning, and it's a machine that's constantly changing. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm very thankful that I got the basics. And also, it's just... <laughs> Like, the producing minor is strangely just a uh, a card that I get to play occasionally. Like, I get to be like, oh, yeah, I studied this. <laughs> um, and it adds, like, a legitimacy to what I've mostly learned after school.
0: So you recently starred in MGM's War Games, which was a reimagining of the 1983 sci-fi thriller cult classic film starring Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy. It was an interactive series produced in collaboration with the Echo platform, which creates a choose-your-own-adventure style of narrative. Can you explain what it's like to be the lead in a story that's also this decision tree format with multiple video segments? How does that affect your typical actor process when there are numerous outcomes and character arcs to consider?
3: It was... Uh, one of, I mean, probably the best acting experience of my life, but also very difficult um, because you're right. There were all of these decision trees. And so we had um, this master map. We actually printed out this huge map that lived on our soundstage and um, it would have, you know, the exact kind of tree and how it would branch out and how it would come back together. Um, So you would have scene A and then you would have it branch into scene B one, scene B two, scene B three, scene B four. Um, and my kind of big job as an actor was to make sure that, however we ended, you know, B one, B two, B three, B four, it would make sense for C one, C two, C three, C four. Right. That that she was not kind of this manic character who could go from a big high to a big low. Um, that everything felt very consistent
0: really it is it sounds like you're doing you're not just acting one series you're almost acting multiple series for the same project
3: yeah yeah and the um, it was quick like I think that they um, we would we would go through scenes we would we would kind of drive through them and you know as actors we always want to Take more time and kind of really like get it but they they were aware that we were kind of taking on something really ambitious and
0: uh, yeah and you played a you played a, a hacker
3: I played a hacker and I shaved the side of my head Fine. <laughs> and I read some insane books about hacking and about and documentaries about that world and
0: you did what were some what were the books that you looked at
3: um, uh, I'm looking at one right now and I want to get the name right, but my contacts aren't working. <laughs> it's Hacker, <laughs> Hacker Something Something Spy. I know that that was a big one that I read. And, um, there are so many documentaries about like Julian Assange and, um, you know, the, the world of hacking and they're all kind of further from my fingertips than they were at the moment. But it was, um... You know, I gained a lot of respect for, um, for those, for, for people who are in that world. And I also gained a lot of fear in understanding how much of, um, how much we are being, you know, tracked and how, how much our data is, is right. Yeah.
0: So the show's tagline was the series that watches you. Could you explain, uh, why that has practical meaning for the series?
3: Absolutely. So um, the series and the story unfolds as though you, the audience, have hacked into the videos of all of the characters. So any information that you're getting, any story that you're getting is through FaceTime calls, is through Skype sessions, is through, um, you know, somebody uh, being in front of a camera that you that could potentially be hacked into all of the video. Are from these devices um, and so you see multiple videos on screen as you're watching the series unfold and you have the option to click on videos um, you know uh, to, to magnify them to, to explore text that comes up etc and so the um, the algorithm that they 've created, which I think is actually um, uh, the first of its kind or 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 maybe you know who knows i think I think it was being advertised as the first of its kind um, it would pay attention to what you were interested in. It would pay attention to what you were watching. It would pay attention to what screens you were clicking on. And the story would then um, unfold or change or, um, you know, go off in different directions based on that. So if you were really interested in my relationship with my dad, you know, a lot of things would unfold in that and you would see more of that story play out. Or if you were really interested in me and my best friend you know, it, it wasn't so much that you were, um, that the story would become a completely different thing, but that you were going on a different path to get to, to the end result. Um, and so you're, you know, it watches you, the series watches you, it pays attention to what you are paying attention to. And it's this very cool, um, you know, kind of, uh, 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 loop, I guess, that that's happening, which is that you you feel like you're watching or you're hacking into or you're kind of being voyeuristic uh, within this story. But really, um, it's being voyeuristic in terms of of you and what you're looking at and what you're watching. Um, Wow. So that's the that's the tagline.
0: (laughs) That's amazing and super creepy, but also gives you such an interesting and unique experience with with a with a story. Um, So where can people find that project?
3: It's on the Echo app or on the Echo website. Um, And so they're a really cool company that is doing a lot of storytelling in this vein. They're really interested in, um, you know, what is the multiverse of a story? What are the different avenues that you can go on? And uh, how can you... Um, you know choose your own adventure within within a story and what are the creative ways to do that and so they've come up with a couple of different series that um that operate that way and they're a really great company they've been so good to me and I know a lot of people have worked with them before and they're they're finding a really strong voice in this kind of in between you know it's not a game it's not a tv show it's it's somewhere in the middle
0: yeah that's exciting um, yeah, now so you had a recurring role on Shonda Rhimes's ABC show Scandal. Um, yeah, was that your network television debut?
3: It was, it was, it was so exciting. Um, yeah, it was the first time that I had ever been on like a big set or especially like network TV, especially TV. Um, and they were, they were really great to me. I mean, I, Uh, I had been auditioning professionally probably for two years at that point. Um, and everything else that I had booked had been on a smaller scale or had been in commercials. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I auditioned to be a co-star. I auditioned to have three lines and they ended up bringing me back for two more episodes, which was really Cool. Yeah. That's the dream. That's every actor's dream is like they bring you back.
0: <laughs> totally.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, now film projects that you've been involved in have gone to South by Southwest and mm-hmm. also Khan and War Games, which we were talking about, was selected for screening at the Tribeca Film Festival. Um, yeah. What are those experiences like? Do you, do you go to support each of those projects when they go to these uh, fancy festivals?
3: I, one of the biggest regrets of my life (laughs) is that I didn't go to Tribeca um, because uh, it was, it was showcasing in the VR um, uh, kind of section of Tribeca. And I had talked to some people and there wasn't, a clear kind of, Oh, this is, we're going to have, you know, these passes or we're going to do that, you know? Um, and so I didn't end up going, but there was literally like a stage that was set up for this, um, for this show. And my face was like the entire backdrop. Like I was the size of two, Basketball players, just <laughs> like, and I can't believe, like that's the photo opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> like, just Man. Yeah. To like stand in front of your huge face, um, but that's the that's the vain answer <laughs> of why I wanted to go. I really wanted to like support it and. Um, and be there for it. And um, yeah, why, to see Why something.
0: couldn't, do you remember why? I'm sure you do. Why couldn't you go at the time? Were you worried about like you needed to be, you couldn't give up the money? Was that a big part of it?
3: I, I guess I wasn't, um, I wasn't as clear about if I would be going as an audience member or if I would be going right. as like, an actor promoting the project. Right. Um, I think that I had gotten some maybe bad advice um, from someone about kind of, you know, not, not going to things unless they're, you know, uh, they're hooking you up with passes and they're kind of, you know, flying you out and and things like that. When really you should just go if you want to go um, mm. would be my advice to anybody. Like that's, there is a lot of Hollywood stuff around like, you know uh like what's in your contract and you know what gets you um you know what what you shouldn't you shouldn't pay out of pocket to do x y and z right and really those experiences are really like great and I'm just such a film lover and I think my instinct is always to just kind of you know go um so, yeah, that's why I regret that, because my instinct was to just kind of pay for a plane ticket and and pay for a ticket to to see it. And there was advice kind of like, don't do it unless they're flying you out.
0: <laughs> well, first of all, they should be flying you out for sure. Um, but I do think that we as actors, like we get put in these awful positions where. Too many times where it's like, you know. I don't know where it's like there's there's leverage in terms of mm-hmm. like oh you're gonna you don't want to you, you you don't want to you're gonna miss it and, you know like we yeah. just I think that what gets traded on is our our excitement about what we get to do and the, the idea of like the glory of certain al- elements of like presenting the work and um that. You know, we we get this fear of missing out things so that it's like, oh, no, no, I'll I'll pay out of pocket. We've had this discussion on this podcast with other actors where it's like if you go to Sundance, it's like you're spending X amount of dollars to like do full hair and makeup for or whatever you're doing or, you know, styling for, you know, hopefully to get that one photograph that you hope will like be part of your. yeah. You know, your press or whatever and it's and, and you're you're paying out of pocket for all of it um, so that your experience is not I mean based on the conversations I've been having it's not unique yeah
3: it um, is
0: but you know and then they get us with that thing of like but it's all it's all about the work the work <laughs> right? um, yeah so uh, now, you are also an ex- a very accomplished writer director, and you created one of my favorite digital series, uh, Roof Access.
3: Yeah, you were in it. You were very kind
0: <laughs> to ask me to be in it and uh, in, in an episode. It's one of my favorite projects I've been involved with as an actor. What? It That's is so absolutely. flattering. <laughs> can, can you talk a little bit about that series uh, for our, for our, our audience?
3: Yeah, um, so th- I I had really wanted to write something and uh, and make it, and I, you know, I had just kind of graduated from school. I was in a long distance relationship with my boyfriend at the time, and uh, he and I were kind of trying to figure out ways to collaborate and i was visiting him and i kind of we we had had experiences on rooftops like we had had a lot of really like memorable and and nice moments um and it was it was kind of sh- a shared love of of views and what it means to kind of be on a roof or be on a uh, um you know, a precipice looking, looking out at the world. And I think just kind of a conversation with him planted that seed. And we were also, uh, the two of us, big fans of high maintenance, which was an anthology Mm, series. And so the two of those things mixed together became, okay, what if we were telling these stories that were separate, but, you know, possibly interconnected and were, um, you know, all taking place on rooftops. Um, and so then I kind of went off from there and I wrote these four different episodes that would take place on Los Angeles rooftops. And the format that we kind of, uh, came up with was that every season would be a different city. Um, and that you would experience, you know, four different locations within that city, four different rooftops within that city Mm. and four different stories. And what was really interesting to me then in that vein was what are, what are our perceptions of cities? What are kind of, um, the stereotypes that exist within cities and how do you kind of turn that on its head? And, uh, what are the ways in which being on a roof gives you perspective? Because it's it's mm. never just like a casual thing. It's never just an ordinary moment. Um, whenever you are on a roof, it's usually an event or it's usually, you know, an adventure. or You're, you know, sneaking up there. Or you're taking a moment to breathe or you really need that perspective or you're a tourist. Mm. You know, whatever, yeah. whatever it is, rooftops are very rarely casual. They're literally...
0: Um, heightened
3: (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly um and so yeah that just became this really cool you know launching point um and so we did a season in los angeles and a season in new york um and they were yeah they're really special and it was my first time directing and um it was, it was my first time seeing, you know, my words come to life and in a, (laughs) on film and, you know, in an editing process. And, um, I, I'm constantly grateful for that, for that experience. And, and I feel really proud of it. Like I, I know a lot of people who have made web series and they really kind of brush it off and they're like, Oh, I just did this dumb thing. And you know, I still have them on my, on my website. I'm like, well, I wanted shit. to ask. Yeah. So
0: where, where do people go to, to watch them all? Because they are excellent. They're, they're shot beautifully. They're directed wonderfully. The actors are all interesting and the performances are great. The writing is so good. Wh- wh- so where, where can people go to find the series?
3: Um, We have them on Vimeo, and I think we don't have the entire series up anymore, um, but they can go to my website <laughs> to watch um, to watch at least two of them and um, and those links would bring you to the other ones from that season. Um, but yes they're they're on Vimeo and you can go to jessicanurse.com. Um, to to see him and to you know stalk me if if anyone wants to right
0: <laughs> yeah as well they should yeah, not stalk yeah. you but they should I'm, they should go
3: no I'm very stockable <laughs> I stalkable. have too I have too much information on the internet <laughs>
0: <laughs> well no they should go check out your the rest of your work um, I would encourage people to do that um, Jess. Thank you so much for doing this. You're, you're one of the most talented people I know. Um, and I wish you lots of continued success.
3: Thank you, J. Cloud. I mean, I feel the same towards you. It's <laughs> so nice of you to say.
0: <laughs> to everyone out there, if you listened all the way to the end of this fourth episode, I want to say thanks for listening. Give us a subscribe and those sweet high star ratings, a nice comment, and we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality content in the future. Stay tuned, because we've got six more incredible episodes, including interviews with Melissa Fumero, Chantal Tui, Ryder Doyle, Sarah Paxton, Christine Woods, Tembi Locke, Vinnie Chibber, and Elna Baker, to name more than a few. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our series graphics editor is Dan Olszewski. Oh, my God. I got a lot of that out without a lot of surus today. I hope I'm using surus correctly. Surus is like... You know, I don't know. When you got a problem, you got to work through. Surus. I think it implies obstacles. Yeah. Today's secret about Claude is he doesn't really know a lot of the Yiddish that he likes to use. <laughs> what a schmendrick I am! Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time.